Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room to listen to all of our podcast episodes without any ads. You get access to our video episodes, our bonus episodes, and even more exclusive content, including merchandise. It only starts at $5 a month, so head on over to our Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom. And while you're at it, you know what would be such a help is if you could rate and review the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And make sure that you follow us and share out our podcast to all of your friends. It truly does help. And I want to thank you all. It means so much that you're listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. True crime friends, welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. I hope you all had a wonderful week this week. I hope you are all looking forward to a wonderful weekend. I know I am for the most part. Um hopefully gonna be going down the shore tomorrow. Um, you know, and hopefully the weather cooperates this time. <laughs> Um, it seems like it's going to, so it, it should go off without a hitch, I'm hoping. You know. Um, you know, but yeah, I hope you're all looking forward to a relaxing week. Or weekend, I should say. <laughs> Not a week. The week's over. We're at the weekend. Thank fucking God, right? I know. My brain is just, like, so frazzled right now. I have so many things going on at the same time, and I'm just like, Ooh. Like, <laughs> figure it all out. Um, but, yeah, like, that being said, I also am, like, this is TMI, but I'm also, like, getting my period, so I'm PMSing really bad, too. Um, you know, so this this day, this week has just been, it's been what it is, you know? And that's that's really all I have to say <laughs> about it. 
Um, but, you know, in order to, you know, find a healthy way to cope with my... I don't know that I've ever mentioned it on here before, but I have um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD, for those of you, you know, who like the acronyms. Um, so with PMDD... Essentially, they classify it as really, like, severe PMS. So, and it can be any of the symptoms. It doesn't have to just be one. Like, it can be moodiness, increased hunger, you know, cravings, fatigue, cramps, pain. All of the things, you know, that are associated with normal PMS. However, PMDD is PMS, like, on fucking steroids and for me the symptom that most affects me is the moodiness and the mood swings so ever since I was like I want to say 16 years old maybe I knew something was up maybe 17 but I knew something was up I would and again it was only ever around my period and I hate that there's really not enough research into (laughs) Not only, like, women's menstruation, but, like, all of these things. Because I remember from, like, I remember earlier on hearing about this. Like, they were saying that PMDD, like, PMS, only happens during a certain amount of time. But as a woman and as someone who has a uterus and has a period, I can tell you 100% that you know, the logic and the science behind that is not the same for every fucking woman. And they completely change the standard, or I feel like, you know, like it just, you feel so excluded. Basically what I'm trying to say is the fact that for me personally, I am someone who experiences my symptoms of PMDD within a three-week time period. So that means it either occurs... And not either, because sometimes it occurs during the entire time. But this is when I've noticed. It's either the week before, week of, or week after my period. I will have symptoms. And it spans. It's not the same every time. Sometimes it's a mix of all three. You know, sometimes it, you know, relents and sometimes, and then it picks back up. You know, it just... Honestly, I think it has a lot to do with the release of hormones and such. Um, You know, but again, that's not being really studied so much on an individual case-to-case basis. From what I've seen, all the research (laughs) is done by, like, you know, one group of people. And they're like, and these are the results. And therefore, it must be true. Like, I remember... Specifically, there was an episode of Law & Order SVU. Um, I believe it was one of the Panabakers. Give me one second to figure out. I, I can tell you exactly which one it is. It is Danielle Panabaker. I believe she's the older of the two uh, Disney star Panabakers. But anyway, she played a character who was in a relationship. She was a teenager and a minor who was dating an older guy, like, in his early 20s. Now, 
normally I'd be more freaked out about. Well, I wouldn't even say I'd be more. I'd be more freaked out about it now. However, though, I feel like I can't be hypocritical because, like, I was that 16-year-old dating a 21-year-old and didn't see a problem with it. <laughs> um, you know, so. Yeah, so it's kind of that situation. So, you know, I'm not going to harp on that because that's not the point. That's how the case starts. Um, but eventually the character, Danielle's character, she kills her mother. And she tries to use her defense as being for the fact that she has premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And, you know, just flew into a rage and th- that that's what had happened. And there's a moment where Olivia says to her that, you know, it only could have occurred during this span of time. And I remember at the time watching the episode and being okay with it. But now having watched it as, you know, an adult who's lived with this since I was, you know, like, I don't think it happened the entire time. I mean, I could be wrong, but from my recollection, my PMS system, blah, 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 my PMS symptoms only got worse around age 16, 15, 16. But I also could be wrong because, I mean, also when you're, I I was 12 when I first started. So I, you know, like I can't think of a time where, (laughs) you know, maybe I was being too extra. But then again, I don't know. You know, when it's new for you, you're still trying to figure out what is going on. So, you know, in all fairness, it takes some time to realize that something's not right. Um, basically that's just to say it could have been happening the entire time. I just didn't realize, but you know, like I said, having watched it now being older and having dealt with it, I'm kind of like, yeah, no, that's not always true. Like it's not always within that time period. Like I said, I feel like it fluctuates. And for me, like I said earlier, it's within those three weeks. Like it, it, you know, it's the luck of the draw and not you know, it's not every single one. It depends on what's going on around, uh, you know, my stressors or the amount of stress that I'm under kind of dictates how bad my PMDD is going to be that month. However, I am medicated and I am aware. So I do have tools and things to uh, help with that. But Yeah, to make a long story short, basically, I was Little Miss Betty Homemaker today. Um, Yesterday, I had wanted to make scallion pancakes, which for those of you who don't know, um, they're also called sometimes Chinese pizza, depending on where you order from. Um, It's basically like a crispier version of a pancake, and it's instead of sweet, it's savory, and it has pieces of scallion. I forget when I discovered this or when I first had it. Um, but whatever that date was, I've been in love with it, like been in love with it ever since. So, and I've always wanted to make it. So yesterday I attempted to make it at, you know, during my lunch on my work from home day. And I realized, cause obviously I researched this before, but I realized the recipe was more of a pancake batter and less of an actual dough. So today I was able to make the actual dough and like do that whole thing. And it just, it was so therapeutic and wonderful. And they are fucking delicious. I think there's like two left between me and my mom eating them. So yeah, very happy about that. I will post the pictures of those in 
social media. And if any of you would like the recipe, I will be happy to give it to you. Either comment or slide into my DMs. Either or, I'll help you out there. Hopefully, I won't be at my parents much longer. Not that that's a problem because I love my parents and being here but um you know hopefully because the house search has been back up um hopefully we find something soon you know i'm really hoping it seems like by the end of this year we really could be in our own place so i'm very excited about that but honestly that is enough jabber jibber jabber from me let's get into this week's news update so, after two weeks on the run, Chester County Prison escapee Daniello Calavante, or Calvec, I did this last week, Cavalacante, was finally apprehended. Woohoo! Daniello escaped prison on August 31st by literally scaling the wall plank style, like literally his hands on one side, feet on the other. I feel like this was something I attempted as a child, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but yeah, he literally, like Ted Bundy, he really didn't have to work that hard and just, you know, got out. I'm not pointing fingers or anything, but, you know, didn't seem like he had to work too hard. Just pointing that out. Danello had only been in prison for about a week before escaping. Beforehand, like literally the week before, he had been sentenced to life in prison for the first degree murder in the stabbing of his ex-girlfriend, a woman named Deborah Brandau. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. I'm sorry. Now, it was said that this happened in front of her children, which <sighs> is just so unbelievably horrific and unreasonably cruel like oh my god of course this isn't the only time Demillo or Danello has gotten his hands dirty because it is said that the Brazil native is wanted back in his home country for you guessed it murder now, it was also said that Danello survived on watermelons and creek water, the watermelons which he stole from a nearby farm. He had also stolen a backpack that contained clothes and a razor which he used to shave his beard. Which, I don't know if any of you saw already, but like the clips of him, or the pictures of him from the past two weeks, one of them I know showed him without a beard. So, that's why. Now, he hid in the forest near Longwood Gardens and only moved during the nighttime, which, very smart. I, I hate to say it, but he's making all of the right moves at this point. It was also said that he actually buried his feces in order to avoid detection. Again, that's... That's a smart tactic. He clearly had a lot of street smarts. Like, I don't know if he did some reading during that week that he was there, or if he was just took what he learned from escaping Brazil. I don't know. But the man's got a plan. <laughs> and I can see how he lasted for two weeks on the run. 
That's all I'm saying. I don't like to admit it, but, you know, <sighs> it is what it is. Danello was able to steal a van from a different farm near Longwood Gardens and then took that van 20 miles north near Phoenixville, and it was said that he knew that area better. He eventually ditched his prison shoes and stole a pair of boots off of someone's porch. That sucks for that person. But then he also visited two former co-workers, asking them for help, which they rightfully declined. Apparently, which also, I have to say, that is quite brave. I mean, the guy has been sentenced, convicted for murder, and he is clearly on the run. And the fact that you were able to say no without the fear of being like, oh my god, he might kill me... More power to you guys. <laughs> the fact that that you know that you guys were okay. I mean, he didn't have anything. It's not like he could have done that. But desperate people do desperate things, and therefore, it is important to never underestimate them. You know. However, I'm just happy they were able to make it out unscathed. It seems that at this point. Danilo explained that he went to them specifically and not to family because that would be too obvious. Again, he's thinking of all the right things. You know, I hate <laughs> I have to say that, but like, <sighs> I just want to point out that sometimes people who do horrible things have common sense and can do shit like this. You know, it. I, I'm just trying to make sure we all don't assume that they're all stupid, you know? Because clearly, he was able to escape prison and be out and about for two weeks without being caught. So, you know. It was also said that his plan was to steal a car and then escape to Canada, which obviously did not happen because this past Wednesday in South Coventry Township, Pennsylvania, a U.S. Border Patrol dog named Yoda was able to track him down with the rest of the team. And when he went to escape, sh they chased after him and bit the shit out of him. Now, Yoda is a four-year-old Belgian Malinois. Malinois. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, and I should have checked, but I apologize. We all know I suck at names, okay? Basically, Yoda kind of looks like a German shepherd, but with shorter hair, essentially. And more grayish than brown. But anyway, this amazing pup, boy or girl, I don't know, they didn't say, which I wish they would have because I would have liked to have said that this pup was a good girl or a good boy, but... They didn't give that. However, though, because of the name, I'm kind of thinking that maybe it's a boy. I don't know. But either way, way to go, Yoda. Doing the most important job of all, which is keeping us safe. I mean, you should have gotten all the pets and all of the treats for a job well done. And the fact that those assholes took a picture of themselves to be like, oh, my God, look, we did it. When really they didn't do shit. I mean, they did. Let's be honest. We know they did all the work. However, 
Yoda is the one who, you know, made sure it would stick by causing injury. That's all I'm saying. Go, Yoda. Go, Yoda. For this next case, it occurred actually this past Tuesday. The police in Georgia discovered the body of a woman in the trunk of a car parked in the parking lot of a Korean spa. Now, according to reports, the woman was beaten and starved for at least three weeks before her death and weighed a total of 70 pounds. The exact cause of death is still undetermined, and it was said that a relative of one of the suspects found the body in the trunk after the suspect asked them to retrieve an item for them. (sighs) Yeah. Also, just, I mean, I feel like most of us can put, like, 70 pounds in perspective as far as a human is concerned and understand how underweight that is. But I just want to reiterate how severely underweight that is. Like, no one other than maybe an Maybe a very skinny, hyperactive, eight-year-old child, eight to maybe nine-year-old child should be weighing 70 pounds. And I don't even think that's healthy for that age group. So that's just to give, you know, remind everyone how severely starved this poor woman was. Police were able to connect the murder to a religious group or cult, in my opinion, called the Soldiers of Christ. Gwinnett County police raided a home in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and believed that the abuse and torture and subsequent death of this woman occurred in the basement of the home that they raided. Six people, five men, one woman, well, five males, one female, including a 15-year-old boy, were arrested and charged in connection to the woman's murder. Other charges in connection with the crimes committed by those individuals include false imprisonment, tampering with evidence, and concealing death. The victim was believed to have been in her mid tw- or her 20s to mid 30s and was believed to have been lured to the United States from Korea by this group to join their group, the Soldiers of Christ. This case is still ongoing. There are no court dates that I've seen as of yet. The woman's name is unknown, but the suspects are, and I don't think they personally deserve any attention at all whatsoever, so I'm just not going to name them. If you want to know who they are, you can find them in the section of my show notes because I know, I know. I'm the type of person who when I hear that, I search that because I just, I'm so nosy, I want to know. However, in this situation, like for me anyway, I just don't feel it necessary to talk about them and like give them any sort of direct credit for what they've done because, well... They don't deserve it. You know? Anyway, this week we are getting into part two of the Patty Hearst series. So we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with Patty Hearst part two. 
Hi, this is Andrew, and I'm interrupting what I know is an exciting ITBR episode to talk to you about one of our sponsors, the Gay and Lesbian Review. Discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture with a subscription to the Gay and Lesbian Review, a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and our popular art memo column. Each issue of the Gay and Lesbian Review brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, but you will definitely find articles about online dating, like using Grindr as a social phenomenon, or even the gay influence on 20th century fashion. Did you know that I've actually interviewed three gay and lesbian review contributors? Make sure you listen to my Ignacio Darnod Breaking the Gay Code in Art episode, where Ignacio explains that Key artistic figures like Michelangelo, Donatello, Thomas Eakins, J.C. Leyendecker, and Tama Finlan all have really explicit homoerotic artwork. And then head on over to the next episode where I talk with Dr. Vernon Rosario about LGBTQ psychiatry and how homosexuality got depathologized. And our most recent episode was with the Gay and Lesbian Review's literary editor, Martha E. Stone, and she talks about what LGBTQ literature you should be reading this summer, and also how to become a contributing writer and a reviewer for the Gay and Lesbian Review. To subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR to receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. And as an added bonus, you also receive online access to all of the Gay and Lesbian Review's archived issues. All of them. Okay, enjoy your reading, everyone. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved recently by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, or what have you. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot org. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of the homepage. And if you have any questions, email publisher Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say.
So just a baby recap before we get into the full episode here. Patty Hearst, granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper mogul, her father, Randolph Hearst, his, one of his children, was kidnapped from her apartment that she shared with her fiancé by the Sibonese Liberation Army, or SLA. Now, the SLA sent out a communique announcing that, you know, who they were, what they were doing, you know, took responsibility for Patty's kidnapping. And I know I said that we would pick up on the infamous, not first, I (laughs) misspoke last week, um, but the infamous tape. But first, I kind of want to talk about the letter or the communique that they sent out. Because they also sent out some more. (laughs) So let's talk about those a little bit. So the first one that they sent, you know, like I said, said who they were, what they were doing, and why they kidnapped Patty, kind of. Four days later, they sent out a second one to the radio stations with a demand. Now, in order for Patty's release, her father... Again, you know, son of William Randolph Hearst, who really did not get as much money (laughs) as everyone probably in this group thought that he did, you know, because none of the kids got money. It all went to the um, the Hearst Corporation and, you know, keeping the, you know, newspaper machine alive. Um, You know, so like I said, they didn't get as much money. Just a reminder. But here they think that they did. So I know. I know I did a recap already, but I just wanted to remind everyone of that because it's kind of important to what happens next. So the SLA demands that Patty's father, Randolph, feeds the populations of both Oakland and San Francisco for free. Now... I don't hate the idea of forcing a rich man, rich person, to feed people. Like, I don't hate these demands specifically. I hate how we got here or how they got to this point, you know. But like I said, I don't hate the demands, you know. However, you know, as mentioned, like I said, it's important he didn't have this money. So the family, of course, made attempts, and they did this by haphazardly trying to feed the Bay Area over the next couple of months. The SLA also just kept sending out communiques, and they just kept getting more and more bizarre. At first, the family gave out $2 million worth of food, to which then the SLA responded by asking for six million more dollars worth of food. Again, they didn't have the money at this point. You know, I think they really only had enough to put out the two million for, you know, to give as many or as much food out as they could for that much money. But, you know, they didn't have the six million They couldn't, you know, just keep doing it and doing it and doing it like I'm assuming that the SLA thought that they could. So at this point, you know, like I said, Patty in the first episode, she had lived a rather quiet life. So now, 
you know, not only has she been kidnapped, you know, her whole life has been blown up and everyone literally at this point knows who she is. They already knew of the family and I guess, you know, that she existed, but like she wasn't like a Paris Hilton, like in the limelight or a Nicole Richie, you know, she wasn't front and center. She was, you know, living her life, going to school, you know, she was going to get married, things like that. You know, it seemed like she was more in a position to and like I said I feel like I keep harping on the fact that like her father and I guess the rest of them really didn't get that much money comparatively to what you know William Randolph Hearst and his newspaper empire was worth um because he did put it into the business but it's just it boggles my brain that like (laughs) that is the situation just because it feels like it's so un not uncalled for but just uncommon you know And I feel like Patty in this situation was kind of just like, like I said, she was more private. People didn't know about her. She was going to school. So I feel like she did obviously have some privilege by having rich parents and a rich grandfather who, you know, created, like I said, that huge newspaper empire. But it seemed like to some degree she was going to have to work to, you know, support uh, you know, upper, like high class ish lifestyle that she's probably used to. So, like I said, they didn't have the money, her parents. So eventually, the Hearst Corporation had to get involved. I don't know if the father went directly. I mean, I'm sure they were aware. Like I said, this was a huge, huge news story at the time. Um, aside from the fact that the Zodiac Killer was going on simul- not sort of simultaneously. So a lot of things are happening, but, you know, this is taking somewhat precedent. So, like I said, I don't know if he reached out to them or what happened. They probably knew and were like, okay, we need to step in here. So they do, they get involved and they offer to pay for, you know, the additional 600 or not 600, but $6 million more of food if Patty was returned unharmed. This all kind of like this whole scenario that I just laid out, that happened over a span of about two months. So there was a lot of back and forth happening Um, I don't know, like I said, if the $2 million was all at once or if it was spread out, I'm guessing probably. But it seemed like the $6 million, they were like, yeah, no, we need this now. So after two months of this insane back and forth, the SLA gave authorities the infamous recording of Patty Hearst. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to be talking about Broadview Press. You might be asking, what is Broadview Press, Andrew? Broadview is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities mainly English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, just to name a few genres. And recently, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who wrote 
all about the philosophy of sport. And what better summer episode than to talk about what happens when a philosopher dissects the beautiful aesthetics of sporting culture. In the spring, I had on doctors Kyle Stedman and Tanya Rodriguez to talk about what is sound writing, how to make audio projects in the college classroom, how to even have your students create podcasts. And then in the winter, I had on Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Weinstock. He talked about analyzing pop culture. Yes, I even sneak in some Real Housewives questions. And how to teach composition and make it fun. He uses this whole metaphor about being a mad scientist in this gothic lab. And in the fall, I had on Dr. Ann Stevens, and she talked about literary theory and criticism. And yes, the university season is upon us. So what better way to talk about the college classroom than to actually understand what is literary theory? That's a wonderful episode for all of you out there who teach literary studies. I love Broadview Press. Make sure you use their exclusive code. It's Ivory Tower. On broadviewpress.com, you get 20% off all, all Broadview Press publications. Okay, until the next Broadview Press interview, and now back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E made it. Or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So, go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It. And Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It. Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E, and ordered today. Hi, everyone. This is Andrew, and I am interrupting what I know is such an exciting Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and it's hosted by Christian Garcia. Christian is joined with guest co-hosts to talk about classic cinema films that we know and love, and... He analyzes them through a queer lens. So he's talked about The Sound of Music, Alfred Hitchcock, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, and recently, Hello, Dolly. I actually was on his first ever episode to talk about my love of The Sound of Music and playing Captain Von Trapp in my high school musical. Then I was joined with Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime in Academia, and our friend Travis Roundtree to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mary just had Christian on True Crime in Academia to talk about female poisoners, including the evil queen from Snow White and actual real-life female poisoners. So... 
Christian's podcast is the best. You must add it to your listen list. After you listen to this episode, make sure you head over to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple and Spotify. Make sure you follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he's also on TikTok. Don't forget TikTok. Okay. I can't wait for you all to listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And now back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. On April 3rd, 1974, authorities received a tape recording of Patty Hearst. In this tape recording, which was an audio tape recording, Patty declared that she had joined the SLA of her own free will and was now going by the name Tania. Which, of course, I'm not sure if that's how that's pronounced. It's T-A-N-I-A. So we're just going to go with it. Tania. She also condemned the quote-unquote capitalist crimes of her parents. Now, this was a shock to say the very least, and not just for, obviously, her family, for authorities, but for, like, kind of the entire world. So, just for some context, the bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden, by Jean-Eric Olsen, the one where we got the termed or coined termed Stockholm syndrome that occurred the year before so I don't think the trials had occurred yet and not even just the trials but let alone the notion to even be like wait a minute what's what's going on here why are these captives you know feeling this way about their captor so you know that coupled with, you know, the cult mentality and brainwashing, like it just really wasn't being studied that much at the time. So in a way, like, and it's interesting that all like these couple of things are kind of happening at the same time um, between, like I said, the robbery at Stockholm, then with like, you know, like the Manson murders and stuff like that kind of, we're still kind of getting over that, you know, there's just a lot of you know, this type of brainwashing and manipulation going on that, like I said, psychologically really wasn't being studied. So, like I said, in a way, this was kind of a phenomenon. Two weeks later, on April 15th, a surveillance camera at the San Francisco bank photographed and recorded Patty dressed in dark clothing and wielding an M1 carbine which an M1 carbine is a semi-automatic weapon that, for, you know, fun fact, was issued by the U.S. military during World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War, which was still going on at this time. So, basically, the SLA got a hold of military-grade weapons. And I don't think at the time, I should have researched this, but I didn't look, um, but I don't think that... You know, you were just able to go get an M1 carbine. Like, I think they were strictly military issued. Um, but I could be wrong. Ivory Tower Boiler Room at gmail.com. Let me know if any of you out there know. So, yeah, somehow they got this wep- these weapons. And, you know, again, here, Patty, who they think is, or, you know, that they know now is like joining them. They're like, okay, wow, she she's really in it because here she is. At an armed robbery. And not just this one, because later she was then caught on camera again, but this time robbing a store in Los Angeles. So, like I said, she's very much in it now. 
But some people, or not some people, but some sources do claim that, especially the first one, like she really only participated to prove her loyalty slash like conversion. But it was also said, fun fact, that she could have potentially been involved as early as the extortion of her father and the Hearst Corporation, which, like I said, that happened pretty quickly after she was kidnapped. So, I mean, the girl keeps adding to her rap sheet, you know? On May 17th, the LAPD raided the secret SLA headquarters. Don't know where, but they found it and they raided it. Now, this raid resulted in the deaths of six of the group's nine members, including its leader, Donald DeFries, a.k.a. General Field Marshal Sink. Or Sink you. Still not sure how to pronounce that name. Donald DeFries, even though is boring. It's way more easier. <laughs> or it's way easier. Jeez, my grammar. Easier to say. But, you know, like I said, they were picking African-based names. And I apologize. I don't know the proper uh, way to say that name. I should have checked. But yes. I'm a bit more curious as to what happened in this raid. I couldn't find, like, a detailed what went down and why these six people died. Um, I'm hoping it's because they were, you know, shooting at the police and not, and I know that's a horrible thing to say, but I just, I hope that it's not because of police brutality that these people were killed, you know, but like I said, I don't have that information. So, um, yeah. Now police were hoping to find Patty and two of the other members involved in the robbery, But they weren't there. So, of course, the search for Patty and these other members continued. And the media, of course, with newer technology, you know, being able to have everything, you know, filmed, you know, they kind of had a frenzy with all this. And people were really hooked and were watching for updates on the news about this, you know, daily, nightly, you know, whenever it is they watch the news. Now, for over a year, Patty and the other members seemed to evade capture by going across the country, like crisscrossing, actually, across the country, going back and forth. And, of course, they were just committing more crimes. Now, on September 18th, 1975, however, Patty was eventually captured in a San Francisco apartment and was arrested for committing armed robbery. As we know, the justice system takes time. So obviously her trial, I don't believe, occurred until a year or so after. So you'll see a jump in dates, but I don't know exactly when it started. But like I said, big cases like these always take time. There's just a ton of evidence that has to be looked through. And, you know, like I said, that takes time. During this time, Patty expressed to her lawyers and to the court in her testimony what she went through. And she said that she was basically brainwashed. She stated that for a really long time, but for at least a week, she was held in a closet with her hands tied and completely blindfolded. And she was only allowed to leave the closet for meals. Just... Meals. I know when we're watching TV and in film, like they don't show the gory details 
or the gross details, but like, you know, she was not only being kept in there, but she was also like, that's also where she went to the bathroom for a lack of a better way to say that. But, you know, at least she didn't have to eat there. That's one nice thing they did. Patty also stated that she had been beaten and threatened with death daily. Eventually, though, she did begin to participate in the group's political discussions and was eventually given a flashlight to read the SLA political tracks. Not sure exactly what that is, but I'm guessing it's just like their political agenda and, you know, everything that they believe. She stated that at one point she was told by the group's leader, Donald DeFries, that she was either that the group or the apparently he was pushing that there was like a higher group than him. Um, I think he called them like the war decision maker basically the people he were saying that was saying that were like making the decisions about this war that they wanted to start um but i'm not sure exactly if that existed because he was the leader and like started this whole thing but anyway he was saying that they were trying to decide Ooh, maybe there were voices in his head just a thought we don't know for sure like i said he was killed on may 17th so we don't know but maybe he had some sort of like schizophrenia I don't know. That's just kind of how it's sounding. Again, I have no authority to be diagnosing anyone. So, you know, but that's just given this now. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, he was saying that these entities, voices, what have you, were trying to decide if she should live and join them or die. So, of course, for her, that put the thought in her head that, you know, she needed to get on board with this. This was which was why she was joining in on the political discussions and then you know was reading these you know SLA materials Patty herself had even said quote that she accommodated her thoughts to coincide with theirs end quote so again I mean she's in an absolutely tough situation I mean what else is she gonna do plus for the fact that like I said you know she was being beaten and threatened with death and kept in like very inhumane conditions that like yeah that's a lot of mental stress to put on a person and if you're telling someone that there's a way out of it especially as young as she was of course I mean when you think about it she was what 19 so that she's probably now 20 at this point or I mean she was 19 at the time 20 at the time of her capture um, so, I mean, she was young. Your brain doesn't can, like fully form until you're like 25 years old. So, you know, even though, you know, some people are like, well, she could have fought harder. I mean, <laughs> wait until you're in that situation before you can really say that, you know. So I personally can see why she made the decision that she did, because in April, when the audio tape was released, that was the day that she was basically given the choice to either join them or die. You know? Decisions, decisions, decisions. Not trying to make light, but just, you know. Despite saying all of this in her testimony, the jury didn't believe her. And sadly, Patty was convicted of armed robbery on March 20th, 1976 
Basically, the prosecution, Attorney General William B. Saxby, painted her as like a common criminal and just basically was able to somehow convince the jury that her participation was voluntary. Which, I mean, sure, but also like technically a gun's being held to her head, whether literally or not. You know, like I said, she was, had to join or die. <laughs> what did you think she was going to do? Eventually, she was sentenced to seven years, and thankfully, after serving almost two years, 21 months to be exact, I just hate saying that because it makes me think of children, and that's not it, but I mean, it's also the exact amount of time she was in. Anyway, after 21 months, her sentence was commuted by President Carter. So, you might think the story is over here, but it's not. Next week, we are going to discuss Patty's life on the outside and basically since she was released and where she is now. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on social media at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok and at TC on X. (laughs) Still so weird to say that. If you would like to listen to this or any episode ad-free, go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and become a patron today. And until next time, my loves, I will see you all later. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby, the host and director of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. I am joined with Mary DePippi, our chief contributor and host of True Crime and Academia. Please, if you're not, make sure that you follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime and Academia on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, too. Remember our TikTok. That's where all the exciting video clips are posted. Make sure that you join our Patreon if you want more Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime and Academia content. All the video Interviews are on our Patreon. All of our bonus episodes are on Patreon. And it just means so much for you to join for $5 a month. You unlock all of our bonus episodes. And also, it just helps support the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thank you so much for giving Mary and I a needed jolt of caffeine for coffee. Thanks for the $5. Head to patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. We cannot wait for you all to listen to our summer season. There are so many exciting episodes. And we're also celebrating three years of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. So without further ado, thanks for listening. Make sure you listen to the next episode next week. And have a wonderful summer season, everyone. Okay, bye now.